the Empire Podcast this week, we make it so with the great Patrick Stewart, here to talk about his stunning turn in Logan, and we talk about that jaw-dropping Oscar moment, you know, when Moana lost out on best song. All this and the usual movie news, reviews and nonsense on the only movie podcast that double-checks every single envelope before we open it. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara and welcome to the Empire Podcast, sponsored this week by the good folk at Three, the network that allows you to use your phone in 42 destinations abroad at no extra cost. Believe me, as a highly glamorous international jet setter myself, this is a lifesaver and a money saver when you're travelling. I've used it in the United States, Australia, Spain and Sri Lanka to name but a few. Even more excitingly, Three are the headline sponsor for this year's Empire Awards, which I think we can all agree is going to be the most exciting and surprising awards show of 2017, right? Yeah, definitely. So this week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning that even John Wick treads cautiously around them. And since Chris isn't here this week, uh, he's actually moving house at the moment, good luck with that, Um, he's not here to make supernatural jokes, so I've decided to make some of my own. So first up, we have our very own Castiel alike, a man who looks surprisingly uncreepy in a trench coat, but can't get to grips with answer phones. It's Nick DeSemelin. Hey, Helen. Uh, yes, I think that's a good joke. I, I can't tell. I only I haven't seen Supernatural, and I only know from it from this podcast so that they all have their shirts off all the time. That's right. I mean, they really like never literally do. But but Castiel is an angel, so you know. I looked him up last yeah. night, and I looked at the, there's a Wikipedia page dedicated to Castiel, and it's it's like ninety thousand words long, and it's so complicated. He has like 10 different names. Apparently he used to be human, then he was an angel, and now he's a seraph. Is that true? I guess, yeah. And his code name is Agent Beyonce. Yes. Well, what? This makes no sense. Well, so when, when, the, when the Winchester brothers pretend to be FBI agents, which they do all the time because they're investigating crimes. Shirtless ones. Shirtless ones, of course. They, they will introduce themselves by naming obscure music stars so oh. so plant robert plant or something they'll, they'll they'll claim like heavy metal stars as their real names but cassiel got the idea but not quite the execution so called himself agent beyond amazing yeah this is good. the supernatural podcast <laughs> no that's good that's a good fact so uh then we have our crowley substitute who makes the king of hell look warm and fuzzy or at least scottish it's james dyer i resent that why I, to be fair crowley is actually quite good it's mark shepherd isn't it from yeah, Battlestar it is, Galactica. Yeah, yeah. but now remind me he's a demon he's a demon he's, i like that he's a demon i can i can go with, i saw myself as more of a long lost winchester but i could take a demon <laughs> Do you <laughs> don't want to be the long lost winchester the long lost winchester is still stuck in hell right like seven seasons okay, later. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll, okay, I'll take oh, a demon. wait. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Guys, I'm sorry. No, there's been a mistake. What's happening? Uh, James, you're you're not the potter um, this week. Uh, John is the is the second potter of right. this week. John is potting. This is not a joke. Come up here, John. <laughs> this is not a joke. Is, I'm sorry. I read this, the wrong intro. This is wow. John, it's my honour to hand the microphone over to you. <laughs> this is instead. really... Wow. This, this is what happens when Warren Beatty... Uh, Organises the podcast while Chris away. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so. Leaving the stage. <laughs> Even in my wildest dreams, this could not be true. Enough with dreaming, John. Uh, <laughs> yes, our final Potter is the Empire equivalent of Supernatural's Charlie. He's young, he's talented, and he's probably hiding a tattoo of Princess Leia riding a 20-sided die somewhere around his person. It's John Nugent. Hello. That's yeah. just great yes. comedy. Can we stop and just... <laughs> that's just, just great comedy. Let's just congratulate ourselves <laughs> yeah, well done on us. a fantastic comedy bit <laughs> that everyone will oh. appreciate. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. Great Can I just say, because uh, I also looked up Charlie from Supernatural, yeah. and I thought, okay, this this is cool. This is like going to be one of these hot shirtless guys. <laughs> no, it's a lady, Charlie yeah. Bradbury, yeah. also known as the Queen of Moons. <laughs> yeah, played by Felicia Day. The Woman of Letters. Well, I'll be honest here. Why was, was she not Agent Beyonce? I was going, I was yeah. going to introduce, basically, I was trying to think of characters that weren't the Winchesters. Because yes. I thought that was a bit too obvious. Yes. Um, you wanted to be both of them. Obviously. Um, but there are, and it is actually, as we record this, it's Jensen Ackles' birthday, so happy birthday to him. Oh. But um, it, I was kind of like torn on the other male char- characters. They're not that lasting. A lot of people die very fast in Supernatural. Um, I was thinking of Kevin Tran, who was a, a teen genius who became <laughs> gifted with the ability to read like angelic script. Um, but I couldn't quite make that one work, so I thought Charlie was better. This show sounds batshit. It, is. Like, it really does. I'm going to watch an episode yeah. before next week. Yeah, God. <laughs> okay, uh, just to warn you, they're not actually shirtless, like ever. That's okay. That's not why I want to okay. watch it. Well, I'm just making sure. Um, yeah. Okay. I promise. Well, <clears throat> things are as at least as chaotic as when Chris is here already. So that's, that's we're going well today. Right. So things are already as chaotic as if Chris were here, or as if PwC were in charge of the board script. <laughs> hey. Yeah. So uh, that Oscars. What did you guys make of it? You were up all night, John. Right. I was. I was live tweeting for Empire, and uh, I was in the office with Emma Thrower, our Oscar prognosticator. Who's it's a shame she can't be here. Who did very well. Yes. In her prognostication. She, she, well, she did. I mean, it was. It was. I think it was her least successful year of predicting. Mm because there were a few surprises there were yeah Kevin O'Connell I know she didn't predict yes um, and you know Moonlight she didn't predict yeah nor did Warren Beatty <laughs> let's be honest um, that was yeah I mean if you if you're staying up to watch the Oscars and it's 5am when they hit Best Picture and you know my bloodstream was 95% caffeine at that point yeah. Uh, so my heart is already going twice the speed of a healthy man uh, to suddenly see this the, the most extraordinary sort of screw up ever in the Oscars. I mean, I yeah, I nearly had a panic attack. It was yeah. it was incredible. It's so dramatic to watch. There were so many people on the stage. I thought the stage was going to collapse at one point. Just <laughs> that was a danger. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that would have been a, a heck of a way to end the night. But <laughs> it was quite a kind of. I, I mean, I only watched the the highlights, but it seemed like quite a sort of staid and not massively thrilling. It was it was by the numbers until that moment. It was and then it just went insane. Yeah. And it was the guy, it was one of the accountants, wasn't it? The guy who was tweeting backstage. He was tweeting backstage, gave the wrong envelope to BT, um, who then knew something was wrong, but still sort of didn't know quite what to do about it, which is fair enough. I don't think any of us would quite know what to do in those circumstances either. He showed it to Dunaway, who just saw the headline and read out La La Land. The the big problem, and the reason that neither accountant will ever do the Oscars again, apparently, is that there was a procedure in place, and the procedure was meant to be that they went on stage immediately. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what happens, apparently, is that either they didn't realise, because they weren't paying attention because they were too busy tweeting, or they just froze, mm. and neither of them did anything for about a minute and a half, at which point they told the stage managers and left it to them to sort things out. And by so which point the La La Land had already given their speeches. They were on stage. I yeah. think three of them gave a speech. Yeah. I mean, they needed a better system for getting people off. I think trapdoors would have been effective <laughs> yes. or, or some kind of giant hook. Yeah, yeah. You can just grab people. A giant, and, I mean, a giant hook is cl- is a classic, you know, um, so... 
but it was yeah. it was it was somebody, carnage. Somebody on Twitter yesterday said that typography is important here because if you'll notice yeah. on the on the winners' cards, the uh, the the category was written in really small letters at the bottom of the card, mm. and there might have been less confusion if it had said in big letters "Best Actress." Yeah. Warren Beatty could have seen quite clearly that this was the wrong card. Well, apparently, actually, the um, the stage managers and that team had actually complained about the new design of the envelopes and the cards. Mm. The cards were were redesigned to make them at least as clear as they were because apparently initially they weren't legible at all. Oh, right. Um, But the envelopes were not... And they were gold on red, and apparently they were quite difficult to tell. Now, this is not to let PwC off the hook, but it is to back up your point that, yes, design matters. It really does. It really does. But we shouldn't shouldn't let this monumental catastrophe overshadow the winners of the Oscars, because, I mean, Moonlight was a shock just that it won. Um, and it's quite a historic win. I mean, it's the, yeah. the smallest budget film ever to win Best Picture. $1.5 million. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, at La La Land, by comparison, $20 million, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first film centred... Or no, sorry, it's the second film centred around a black cast to win Best Picture. It's the first film about LGBT. What was the first? Um, um, uh, 12 Years a Slave. 12 Years a Slave. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Only, only quite recently. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, it's a fantastic film. I yeah. think this really has got lost in the conversation a little bit. It's an incredibly worthy winner. A lot of people are saying it's one of the best Best Picture winners in years, in yeah. and you know, literally years. So, um, you oh, know, it's was, a really was, good night for yeah. them. I was thrilled. I have to say, I, I mean, my, you know, antipathy towards La La Land is well documented on this podcast, yes. as you know. But, um, but I have to say, I mean, this did make me come as close to feeling sympathy and and warm feelings to La. La land as anything has mm. I mean I, I, it is a horrendous thing to happen to them it's also a horrendous thing to happen to Moonlight because they did end yes. up having to share their moments with another film and that is really kind of rubbish so while it is right to acknowledge you know the grace of particularly Jordan Horowitz under fire in dealing well with it it is also right to acknowledge that the Moonlight people have been extraordinarily gracious about it because it was their moment that was yes. actually ruined it was really nice to see that both teams seem to have sort of a lot of mutual respect for one another True. and there were but they were both very sort of yeah graceful and there's a great um for the the cover of the new variety and the stories online is Damien Chazelle and Barry Jenkins mm. the morning after the Oscars I don't think either of them are slept they're <laughs> still in their kind of tuxes and it's just them kind of having a chat about it all yeah and they both take it very well they do, yeah. I mean, they both had good nights. I mean, uh, yeah. Moonlight also won Best Supporting Actor for Mahershala Ali, which was very well-deserved. Very much. Um, Barry Jenkins won Best Adapted Screenplay. La La Land got Best Director, as you say, and, and yeah. also Best Original Score and Song. Suicide Squad yep. won an Oscar. Suicide Squad won an Oscar. <laughs> just one. Yes, the Oscar-winning Suicide well, Squad. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, okay, that again, was Joker's, we don't love... Joker's tattoos. <laughs> yeah. Again, we don't love... Yeah, yeah. If, if you look at the, the makeup jobs in, in uh, Star Trek, like even even best makeup, which has in the past we know gone to Norbit, so it's not like you know overall film quality is a is a condition for best makeup. But even on the makeup front, I felt like Star Star Trek was better. To be fair, I was on set of Suicide Squad for a few days, and the killer crop makeup was, was incredible cool? up right. close. And he did spend a lot of. I mean, there was every day for months and months and months. Uh, but it's, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think which other characters were particularly like makeup heavy obviously the Joker's hair it's like the colour of Orville the duck um, yeah I think it was basically Killer Croc right, that, okay. that won it I'm assuming. Yeah, fair enough I guess it has the, the same amount of Oscars as Citizen Kane <laughs> and more than Alfred Hitchcock yeah 
I mean, that seems right to me, right? Yeah. That, that seems totally I think those fair. films are very much comparable. Uh, what do we think of Jimmy Kimmel? I thought a lot of his stuff was funny. The Matt Damon continuing feud continues yes. to amuse me mightily. Um, the bringing tourists in, I didn't. I thought that fell flat. It was okay. It went on too long, I think, mm. and it felt a bit odd after yeah. a while it felt like just you know a zoo of celebrities that they were taking selfies <laughs> that wasn't in the highlights um program that i watched which may may make sense yeah, yeah. May, may explain a lot i, I also um, think if you're gonna host the oscars there there are three things you shouldn't do you shouldn't make jokes about we haven't seen your film because it's too small mm. unless it's like avatar and they all have and that's the joke you shouldn't make jokes about pronouncing people's names wrong especially yes. especially yes. if their name is not john smith <laughs> Um, and and he kind of he kind of did both of those, which was kind of a little yes disappointing. Yeah, there was a few sort of thoughtless jokes along the way, but um, but yeah. generally, I thought he, he was, was he was okay. I, there was a bit at the end where when during the whole Moonlight La La Land debacle, uh, he was just like, "Can't we just give everyone the Oscars?" Which yeah. was not the right tone to strike I don't think I don't think that's how the Oscars work is you just sort of <laughs> if you say the wrong word then I you get an come honorary on, Oscar look, he, he was standing there in front of how many billion what, yeah. millions of people not billions probably but I mean I thought he I thought he you know lightened the mood Warren Beatty was trying to make yeah. an apology yeah. it was just all going off the rails at that point I thought he was I thought he was alright I thought he yeah. leaned a bit too heavily on his on his uh, kind of chat show. Yeah, it did um, seem like an extended Jimmy Kimmel Live, didn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah, I did enjoy the Matt Damon stuff. I kind of went down. We've got a great article on the website at the moment, which is just going down the rabbit hole of all the Matt Damon um, Jimmy Kimmel feud YouTube videos. Was I that suggested you? that? Yeah, it's really fun. I I watched it's it on my so way good. in the, to work this yeah. morning. It's very funny. Yeah, I love. I, I absolutely love that stuff. I think I, I think I got into it all after uh, the Sarah Silverman. I'm fucking Matt Damon video mm. and it went from there but then I went back and watched some of the, it's the, the history ben, I'm it. fucking Ben Affleck video is one of the funniest things it's, I've ever yeah. seen and it's, and it's Harrison Ford just there like, just there's for no big, reason all these people singing and Harrison Ford's just right there on the edge of the frame and you're like How, why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really want to know the story Brad behind. Pitt de- delivering pizza I mean it's know. really good yeah so good it's really good um, anyway, we should actually take a question at some point. Oh, yes. It's been 15 minutes. Um, so this week's question comes from Twitter. It's from uh, Greg Slow. Um, apologies if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, surreal news that Marvel is coming to my small hometown. What movie stars have visited your hometown? So this is the news that um, Avengers Infinity War Parts 1 and 2 will be shooting in Scotland in the city of, remind me? Cumbernauld. Cumbernauld in Scotland, uh, where there is a film studio and there are actually, there was uh, stories last year they were trying to expand it because Scotland, the one thing the Scottish film industry majorly lacks at the moment is a big studio space. They have less than Wales and Northern Ireland, which seems unjust. So they're trying to build that up at the moment. Okay. Um, because the Scottish film industry otherwise is doing doing quite well, but yeah. they're stuck filming outdoors. I would so. have thought they have loads of space in Scotland. I mean, it's it's massive. There's nothing there. It's <laughs> <laughs> just but, loads but of mountains. Like, but like with a roof, John. You know? Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. Okay. So that's that's what they need. Right. Anyway, yeah. but Cumbernauld Avengers, that's got to be a good good step in the right direction for the Scottish Scottish film industry. So, mm. uh, what movie stars have visited your hometowns? Have you had any? My mind was blown last night because I started doing a bit of research into this. My favourite film of all time is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And right. I grew up in Chorley Wood in Hertfordshire, this mm. tiny little village. There is nothing particularly remarkable about it apart from Dave Seaman, the ex-football uh, goalkeeper, oh, yeah. yep. lives there or used to live there. <laughs> so that's pretty exciting. But... I found out last night that 
the scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indy helps the two army intelligence guys. Remember, they, they're drawing stuff on the blackboard and mm. they get the Bible out. Oh, yeah. That scene was filmed in the Rickmansworth Masonic School. No, no right near where I live, like no five way. minutes from where I live. That's incredible. So I'm going to go there at some point and and recreate that scene. Is that on the end of the Metropolitan Line? Um, yeah, it's not right at the end, but um, like Zone Seven or something. Zone Seven, exactly. All right. So if you want to come on down and join me, <laughs> we'll I need two guys. Well, I need one guy with a moustache <laughs> and another guy without a moustache. Okay. to recreate that scene. Okay, all right. I'll get right on it. It's a good scene, and those two those two characters were kind of inspired by C three PO and R two D two. I think in, oh, in, right. a weird, in a weird way. Yeah, I remember reading something about it in the uh, J.W. Rinsler book. Anyway, wow. I've thought about that enough. Also, Me Before You, less excitingly, uh, yeah. uh, filmed in Cheney's, which is right near where I live as well. Well, I mean, that's something, I suppose. Yeah, yeah well, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so my actual hometown of Port Stewart in Northern Ireland, um, we do have a really good golf course. So I know like Tiger Woods has played there, but I can't guarantee any film stars. I haven't been able to dig those up. Um, has Tiger Woods ever been in a film? Oh, I can't I feel think like he of must any. have done a cameo. He probably in an should have, shouldn't he? Yeah. Um, but no, I can't think of any. Um, I mean, in the area, of course, basically, if you drive along the, co- the coast from Port Stewart, you basically pass through Westeros. Like, the whole coastline <laughs> uh, is yeah, basically of Westeros. Of course. Um, and, and you can literally do a tour, and there are there are now plaques up everywhere explaining, yeah. oh, this is in the Iron, uh, the Iron Islands, and this bit is where... Renly Bar- Baratheon camped the night of the thing with the with the cave yeah. and the lady and the ooh yeah. the cave and the thing with the cave and the lady got it <laughs> people people are going to know that people are going to get it um, but a better better location for filming is near where I live now so I'm I live near Greenwich and I go running in the morning over towards Greenwich Old Royal Naval College mm. and everything shoots in the Old Royal Naval College so yes. on my morning runs I have personally with my own eyes seen Johnny Depp in full pirate's costume during the shooting of On Stranger Tides mm-hmm. I have seen Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, uh, John C. Riley. yes I was about to say McGinley um, in their Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson costumes mm. filming their untitled comedy Holmes project Holmes and Watson I think it's called Holmes and Watson it is mm. has a title excellent um, I have seen the big elephant from Les Mis overturned <laughs> cars from Red 2 and assorted bits and pieces from Thor 2 wow you've been near the set of Red 2 I've been near the set of Red 2 yeah you can touch me yeah <laughs> oh yeah I've been on <laughs> the set of Red 2 whoa but, you know, I, yeah, yours is more impressive um, probably I've more seen in- Red 2 if, that, if that's impressive <laughs> to anyone is it I don't know uh, Greenwich seems like the sort of place that Americans think everyone is England. Yes. You know, like that seems to be like some sort of... Sort of st- Although it did also play Russia in um, uh, Man from Uncle. It played really? Russia. Yeah. Greenwich? Yeah. It plays everything. Um, it's recently been Buckingham Palace in The Crown. I saw them yeah. putting up a, a second set of columns to mimic the, the oh, right. opening of um, Buckingham Palace. You mentioned For the Dark World, right? I did. I did. And The Darkest Hour? I didn't see it, but I know it was there. Yeah. And uh, the Dark Knight was there. No, Dark Knight Returns was there. What was really? The, which bit was the Dark Knight Returns? Florence. That Florence. was Greenwich. No way. The Dark Knight yeah. Rises. Rises. The, what, sorry, the bit rises. where in the uh, Alfred sees uh, yeah. sees Bruce Wayne and just sort of yeah raises a glass. Raises a glass. That's like the Costa Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, hey, hey, hey! Just the gift shop. Greenwich has a Peyton and Burn. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, Tiger Woods is in one film. Just a uh, uh, bit of uh, done a bit of research. Gentlemen only, ladies forbidden. Colon. Puddy McFadden, licensed to golf. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Well, that's, 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 that's his one credit. Well, I mean, he we, plays we, L. T. Gray. <laughs> 
With a start like that, how has he not made more films? This is like um, yeah. this is like Google whacking or something. We've got to find <laughs> actors who've only appeared in one film. That's yeah. really strange. Wow. As a Spanish version of themselves. Okay, but if anybody wants to stalk the Avengers, obviously then head to Cumbernauld. Don't really. Yes. We're not. We do not condone stalking. Can I just add to yeah. this? Um, the most exciting thing that I think has ever happened to me uh, when I was at school, I went to a school called Coldicott, which is near Farnham Royal mm-hmm. in Buckinghamshire. And we used to do cross country through Burnham Beaches, which is this lovely forest. And when I was at school there, they were shooting Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <gasps> it was the most exciting thing. Wow. We knew they were filming this big Hollywood movie next to our little school. And one day I was doing cross country and I found an arrow. Whoa. Okay. I didn't see Kevin Costner, but I found an arrow. And I don't know what I did with that arrow, but I haven't got it anymore. <laughs> That's amazing. But um, Great story, Hansel. No, mate. My, <laughs> my, uh, my, my flatmate, uh, his dad is a line producer, and he was a line producer on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and he has one of the bows from Robin Hood, Ooh. Prince of Thieves. So maybe we can match up wow. the bow and arrow and what recreate... What happen? We could recreate the bit where he... Goes through the arrow. You, get, you, you just need a tiny little camera to put on the end of the arrow. Yeah, exactly. You'd oh. be blowing in my ear at that point. <laughs> That'd be your dad, your friend's dad. I guess so. Yeah. 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 Um, let's do it. Okay. I've got a couple. Well, for my my hometown is Hereford, which is tiny and insignificant, and nothing ever happens there. So I'm telling Hereford, you said I'm that. I'm sorry, Hereford, but it's true. I think Hereford knows it's true. The only film connection that any Herefordian has is Frank Oz was born there. Hey, and that's he, really good. He left there immediately after being born. <laughs> he he moved to Hollywood. But um, uh, what, what the most? I think the most famous one I could find was W. E. The Madonna's hilariously bad film about oh, yeah. Wallace Simpson. That was filmed in a Eastner Castle, which is near where I grew up. But then I, I turned to like Campbell, which is where I live now, and that that's I guess the most famous thing is with Nell and I from Camberwell. You that's know? pretty famous though. Camberwell Carrots. Camberwell Carrot. Yep. I don't know if it was actually filmed there, but let's assume it was. Have you ever <laughs> recreated a shot from a movie when you're in a location where the exact shot was was taken? No, but maybe we I should don't do more. It's a fun thing to do. I went to San Francisco quite a long time ago with a friend and we recreated a shot from The Rock where Nick Cage has got the two flares and he's we didn't oh, yeah, use yeah. flares well, we, I don't oh. know what we used sticks water bottles okay. or something um, with Alcatraz behind us that's awesome that's pretty good it, it, it sounds cooler than it looks <laughs> <laughs> it's really uncool <laughs> Um, but that's a fun thing to do. I, I, when I was in New York, I went to the um, the building where Men in Black, you know, the massive yeah. building where he goes in. He goes down the alleyway. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I got, a, I made my sister take a photo of me and you know pretend I was Will Smith. Did you pretend door. you had a neuralizer? <laughs> I, no, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have a neuralizer on me at the time. Okay. But um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that in New York, especially that yeah. you, you end up going around going, "This is the bridge they walked across in keeping the faith." Yeah, yeah. A thought that I actually had. <laughs> That's amazing. In Central That's Park. Amazing. Yeah, it was also the bridge from like a lot, <laughs> a lot of other of, things. A lot of better things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's in Harry Met Sally as well. That's obviously. good. Keeping but, the faith, God. I mean, I, I just remember it from that moment. So many years. You know. I went to the. Uh, anyone who's a fan of the Frighteners, Peter Jackson's The Frighteners, mm. a film I absolutely love. But I, I seem to be the minority on it. Um, but the the end of the film is this big action scene with Michael J. Fox um, and a serial killer running around this um, what used to be a hospital and this big spooky building. And I went there in New Zealand, and it was the the coolest thing. And awesome. I recreated a shot, but no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. I, we, we care. We care. Now. Thanks, Alan. Yeah. Thank you. All right. If you want your question read out on the Empire Podcast and treated with 
that much expertise and knowledge um, you can uh, tweet to us uh, we are at Empire Magazine and the hashtag is Empire Podcast or we might not see it um, you can Facebook us where we are also Empire Magazine uh, or you can email us at podcast at empireonline.com Okay, enough of our blether. It's time to add some class to these proceedings with a knight of the realm whose voice is, and this is coming from scientists, not just me, the most soothing sound in the history of the galaxy. He is Jean-Luc Picard. He is Professor Charles Xavier. He is dressed as a lobster on that one picture on Twitter. (laughs) And of course, this week he stars in Logan, where he reprises his role as Charles Xavier for One Last Hurrah. Uh, Chris and I went along recently to speak to, ladies and gentlemen, Sir Patrick Stewart. Oh, what a guy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Patrick Stewart. How are you, sir? I'm uh, just fine, thank you very much. Happy to keep hearing how much uh, you and your colleagues have enjoyed the movie. Definitely. We, we really, really did. Um, and, and a huge part of that is, is Charles Xavier, as we've never seen him before, I think. True. Uh, nor had I ever conceived of him before, mm. or thought that uh, the man that he becomes would ever make it into a superhero movie but uh, there he is and I, it was it's been for me a great privilege to have a chance to to walk in Charles's shoes again although there I don't think I have any shoes in this movie I think I wore <laughs> nasty dirty old slippers all the time <laughs> That's true actually I did. all I had was slippers Yeah did you choose the slippers or were the slippers given to you? No, the slippers were handpicked for their nastiness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask where they came from. Nope. You may not want to know. Nope. Well, they um, came from a wardrobe somewhere on the 20th century Fox lot. <laughs> oh, and then I guess you really don't want to know <laughs> where they came from. Um, was it uh, difficult in a, in a way getting used to some aspects of Charles this time around? Uh, the swearing, for example. No, not difficult at all. Um, I was only excited by what I saw. Well, what I heard when little tidbits of news filtered down the top-secret uh, 20th Century Fox uh, line of communication. Um, and then, finally, a script arrived in my hands. And I'd, I'd, been, and I'd already had a meeting with James, and I had been tipped off that this was Charles Xavier, very different from the gentle, intellectual... Um, empathic individual that we'd seen over the years and I was just excited Mm. Um, and uh, you know what actor wouldn't be to have a chance to 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 appear once more as a very familiar character who is completely transformed into almost someone unrecognizable both in appearance as well as uh, in manner style mood sentiment everything Mm. Yes, because he has hair this time. He has hair. I thought that was the boldest move that was taken. <laughs> when it was suggested to me, I said, oh, come on. I mean, hair, he's completely hairless. But uh, I think I think it was James who offered the idea, well, you see, the thing is that his, his you know, blood circulation and, and uh, other uh, uh, dynamics within his brain have, have re-energized the uh, follicles and... You know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, he has he has hair. Um, it was not a hair piece. It was not a wig. Uh, those individual hairs were laid on one by one every morning. 
Wow. It took wow. a while. Yeah. Again, were they found lying around the fox lots? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, no, they were actually foxes. Yes. <laughs> they caught the foxes and shaved them. <laughs> I've heard that happens to fox quite a lot, actually. Uh, it's really disgraceful. Um, but it, it is, it's a really fascinating turn, the sort of fascinating iteration of Charles. This is a character that effectively you said goodbye to 10 years ago with The Last Stand when you were vaporized. Uh, by Jean Grey. By Jean Grey. Uh, yeah, and what since a woman. then, you've been back. <laughs> precisely. <laughs> since then, you've been back four times. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this is uh, fantasy, science fiction, uh, comic book, uh, wh- whatever you wish. Mm-hmm. Um, you can never say never again. Uh-huh. And, uh, well, the, the Days of Future Past, uh, the last I remember seeing of Charles. Uh, monstrous semi-mechanical creatures mm. were invading the room where he and Logan and Magneto and uh, who else was oh, in there? Oh, there was uh, Kitty Pryde. Was Price. Rogue in there? Right. Oh, Kitty, Kitty Price, Price was, was in there, there yeah. yes. Yeah. And uh, it looked as though mm. the end was nigh for us. But then we had the Happy Mansion ending, so everything seemed peachy again. Oh, that's right. We did have the Happy <laughs> Mansion ending. Um this time, I think there's no doubt that it's, it's for good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, do, how does that make you feel now that... Because uh, obviously a lot's been made of the fact that this is Hugh's farewell to Logan. Oh, yeah. Well, Hugh has been public about that for mm. a long time. But this is also, we're guessing, your farewell to, to well, Charles. It, it, I never thought of it that way at any point. It, in fact, it didn't really come home to me until last Friday night, way after midnight, uh, at the screening in Berlin at the film festival. I'd seen it once before at a special private screening. But in Berlin, the ending was so emotional and intense, probably due partly to the fact that I was sitting next to Hugh and about five, six minutes before the end of the movie, I felt his hand reach over and take mine and grip it. And then I saw that he was wiping away it. And I thought, oh, Lord, not me too. So there were two were these tough superheroes uh, <laughs> sitting in a cinema wiping away tears and it we had to wait for all the credits to roll before we were called up on the stage mm. and introduced to the audience so we were sitting there for quite a long time you know sniffling back and trying not to you know make too much of a show of the tissues that my wife had handed to us <laughs> um, and I thought you know they cannot doesn't matter what scripts they come up with it doesn't matter what ideas there are or or renewals that could occur to them this is the perfect farewell Mm. uh, in such a beautiful context as the ending of this movie Uh, so emotional and truthful and optimistic that's the thing yes and boy do we need some optimism (laughs) at the moment yes yeah, Absolutely. Well, we were saying that this movie seems to be very politically pointed at the moment, even though it was made before yep. everything started going to yep. shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the primary objective of the principal characters in this movie, including the young people they subsequently meet, is to make it to a border, cross it into safety. Well, as we speak, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands actually trying to cross borders to make themselves safe. Families, uh, single men and women, single children, children alone, uh, uh, the, the refugee situation worldwide is, is calamitous presently. And um, uh, 
it is just an irony that the movie makers could not have been aware of that given who is now sitting in the Oval Office that the dangerous place is the United States. Mm -hmm. The border is the U.S.-Canadian border and Canada is the place of refuge. Yeah. Yeah, And there's a wall along the Mexican border in this film as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. And economic strife is rife throughout the film. Oh, yes. And the bad guy is called Donald. So it's... it's it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But just just before we all jump out the window, I mean, you're right, there there is real hope in this movie because it's a story about a family and it's a story about generations and it's a story about, you know... Uh, the, the love between these three generations, really, mm-hmm. of this makeshift family, and and then Laura as the as the sort of hope for the future, I suppose. Yes, and her other friends, and her all, friends, all of them. Um, but it's not a family story. That family is created during the course of the movie. Mm. Always, Charles, throughout the the, the history of, of X Men, has felt a special responsibility for Logan. He knew Logan's past. He knew where he came from and what he had suffered. Um, He was prepared to be patient when Logan was obnoxious or rude or even violent and obstreperous. Um, And now, of course, you know, the, the obstreperous, violent, rude one is Charles. He's out of control. And so are his powers out of control at putting everyone in peril not just those close to him but at some distance as well as we see when they're in the casino and logan is now the father figure he's the responsibility and he has to drive a nasty shitty limo in order to make money to pay for charles's medication Mm. to keep him alive and to keep everyone safe and then they are joined welcomed by charles but resented by logan this child and that is the centerpiece of the story, how that uh, trio of lives become increasingly connected mm. where suspicion and um, rage exist. They begin very slowly to become a family. And I don't think ever before could perhaps the most important scene in the movie <coughs> be a family dinner party yeah. where a real family... And Xavier and Logan and X-23, as she is originally known, are sitting around the dinner table. And that changes everything. And we see the transformation mm-hmm. gradually of Laura until that tear rolls down her cheek. You see, I begin to water up at the very thought of it. Um, and they become, it's perfectly clear then, they have become a family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. That's the kind of moment that you don't get in most superhero movies. It's no. just... Just people eating and, you know... That's right, laughing, laughing, talking. I mean, you obviously are no stranger to playing uh, a character over a lengthy period of time. There's 17 years now since the first X-Men movie came out. And just in terms of the the journey of Charles, there's a moment in this movie which really uh, I thought was very, very touching, very realistic and very profound in a a way. And it, it seems strange, but it's a moment where Logan takes Charles to the toilet. And that is something that you just would not have expected those characters to do back in 2000. But it is something that is very, very real as well to anyone who's been in a, in a situation faintly analogous to that. Indeed it is. It's, it's a delightful scene. I doubted if it would stay in the movie. And so I was thrilled and thanked 
James for keeping it, but he loves the scene mm. too, you know. And I also thanked him for not showing too much of the scene. <laughs> <laughs> So he, he, you didn't see everything, did he? <laughs> no, made, we made sure of that. <laughs> uh, what are your memories thinking back now on the first X-Men movie, which was back, you started shooting it in 1999. I remember very vividly the first read-through of the script because I was on the Fox lot a couple of weeks ago um, uh, for the screening. For the, they screened it for me and my, my team. And uh, my wife was with me, who then I didn't know. And I said, look, that's, that's the building we went into when we read the first X-Men script sitting around a big table, because there were a lot of us. Yeah. And of course, there were a lot of just fantastic people in that room. Uh, Re- Rebecca Stamos and Anna Paquin, James Marsden, yeah. mm. uh, Hugh, of course, who... No, there wasn't. No, Hugh wasn't, wasn't cast. Yeah. No, we were already filming in Toronto when Hugh joined the movie. Um, and uh, it, it, was, uh, it was just a great read-through. And I thought, my word, we have something very special here. In those days, I don't think anybody was thinking in terms of a franchise. Mm. Uh, it was, and, and those were early days of comic book movies, too. Yeah, it was really the first big one to break through. Maybe Blade before that, but you mm-hmm. know, it was X Men that sort of was the proof of concept for the whole mm-hmm. modern era. God. It, it can all be traced back to you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I wish I could say that, you know, but uh, <laughs> no, I was just uh, a small cog in the wheel. <laughs> um, we have uh, a thing now and again on the Empire Podcast where we uh, we, we call the IMD Bunker, where there is uh, it's trivia sections for people on the IMDb. Uh, which are generally filled with nonsense, and we get the person to debunk it or say it's true. Now, there was, there was something I read in the IMDb about you earlier on, which I thought was amazing. Uh, it said, Monty Python publicly announced if there was ever going to be a reuni- reunion tour, that you would be Graham Chapman's replacement. True or false? False, as far <laughs> as I'm aware. I am debunked right here, uh, right here, right now. Uh, but you are a Monty Python fan. Is this, oh, is this true? It's not possible to be my generation and to be an actor and not to be a Monty Python fan. They were brilliant and great, and I'm getting great pleasure introducing my wife to them, who wasn't too familiar. <laughs> awesome. With the films or the TV shows or, or the whole caboodle? The, the whole, everything. The whole thing. Okay, interesting. Which, uh, which is your favorite film? Grail or Life of Brian? Oh, I think Life of Brian. Um, when I spoke to you at the end of last year for about Logan, uh, at that point I think you'd had something like three days off at a time all year because four. you four uh, no, <laughs> but four consecutive days. Four consecutive oh, wow. days. Good lord. Um, so, uh, is this year looking a little bit calmer, or are you similarly booked up so far? Not at all. No, <laughs> last year was crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, with. Four months on a television series, two months in Louisiana on Logan, and six months on stage, on stage here in yeah. London. Um, when we, when our promotion for this movie is over, I am uh, going to bury myself in the West Oxfordshire countryside. Very, very wise. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> well, we shall let, let you get on with that. Uh, Patrick Stewart, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank I've you enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much, indeed. What a nice man. Oh, what a legend. 
he really is. What a night man. That's very good. Okay, just before we continue, a word about our sponsors, Three. With Three, you can use your phone abroad at no extra cost, whether you're on pay monthly advanced plans or pay as you go, no matter if you're using a tablet, a phone or a dongle. Feel at Home works automatically. You'll receive a text message telling you you're in a free Feel at Home destination when you arrive. And then you use your phone as normal, worry-free. Then they tell you when you go back to the UK just how much you've saved, which is quite a few cocktails on the beach, believe me. Or in my case, actually, quite a few souvenir Supernatural t-shirts. Um, but, you know, same same difference. <laughs> Time now for some lovely mo- movie news. Uh, and this week we had the kind of really exciting trailer that makes you panic a bit at how hyped you're getting and lie awake at night worrying that the film can't possibly live up to your hopes. Or is that is that just me? No? No, no. Right? Because uh, like, let's start with number one, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. This is the second or third trailer? Uh, yeah, I think it's a, a teaser and then a second, a second yeah, full trailer. Second yeah. full trailer. And this time, Gamora gets a line. My hashtag <laughs> of free Gamora has finally paid off. What do we think of this? It looks great. Come on, yeah, it looks great. It's it's Guardians. It's funny. It's it's colourful. It's it's witty. It's got a fantastic soundtrack. I really love the use of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Um, you can't go wrong with a bit of the chain. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just looks bright and energetic, and I just love how every character is a different colour. Um, <laughs> you could get them all together and do a colour chart, but it looks really fun, and I, I'm intrigued by the bad bad guys in this one. The kind of somebody pointed out online that they look like evil Oscars. Um, so yeah maybe like it's a meta commentary on the fact that superhero movies tend to get overlooked at Oscar time that was my highfalutin voice yes yes it's food for thought (laughs) it's food for thought Um, and then a bit of you get a cheeky bit of Kurt Russell at the end which is every trailer should have a little bit of cheeky (laughs) whether he's in the film or not Um, obviously he's playing Ego the Living Planet who is Star-Lord's dad Mm -hmm. so Mm. How do, how does that work then? What he is a living he's a planet, but he's a he's also Kurt Russell. He can what, be planet sized, yeah. or he can be Kurt Russell sized. I mean, obviously. So can you sort of land your spaceship on Kurt Russell? What? How does it work? What's <laughs> does he have like a, a like an orbiting moon? Does he have a gravity around? well? Is yeah. what we're asking. Well, he obviously has a gravitas well. Oh! <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Solid. I'm so um, sorry. I don't know that it's all. They've all been quite cagey yes. in terms of uh, in terms of the ins and outs of of Kurt Russell's planets planetesque qualities in this film but because yes. um, I mean he looked pretty human like in the, in that shot he yeah. looked um, like Kurt Russell he looked really. like Kurt Russell yeah. really uh, yes. I didn't notice any sort of like satellites <laughs> uh, or craters I'm not familiar with the comic books as you might might be no I'm not guessing. either to be honest I'm so I'm I'm, I'm not answering your question I'm digging deep but I'm, I'm, I'm running the other way <laughs> come on but, um, the, no, tell it's, us what you it's really one know of the, it's one of the movie's many mysteries we still don't yeah. know who Sylvester Stallone is going to be playing in the True, film yeah. um, whether that's just going to be a little cameo or, or something more um, but yeah it looks it looks really fun it looks really fun. It does. I'd, cool. I'd, I'd like to play Devil's Advocate a little bit here. <gasps> I, I'm concerned with this and the other trailer that they're overplaying the cuteness of Baby Groot you think this- a little bit. I, I felt like the, some of the humour just felt a little bit childish. And one of the, part of the appeal of Guardians is that it's not childish, that it's quite grown-up humour, that it's quite sort of filthy and a bit irreverent and this it felt a bit cartoonish well, slightly but they sort to of, me they, tr- they trod the line last time didn't they between yes. being 
It's, I mean, like, it's fun. Th- those lines, I mean, the really filthy lines, go completely over kids' heads. Mm, so yeah. they could get away with quite a lot. The Jackson Pollock line, yeah. The Jackson Pollock, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, was, that, is, that is the dirtiest line that in the Marvel is, yeah. movie. I mean, even including Deadpool, that's yeah, the dirtiest yeah. line. So. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Baby Groot looks... Uh, you've got to give Baby Groot the benefit of the doubt. In his little, sure. little spacesuit? He looks like a cross between a mandrake from Harry Potter and a gremlin. <laughs> and he just, I mean, I think he's going to be fun. He, no, he will be fun, I'm sure. I know but they're, they're, I they're pitching the, him quite hard The cynical the part of me thinks it's a merchandising opportunity. And, you know, they're just, they've got a whole load of Baby Groot plush toys waiting in some factory well I'm sure they have that as well but it doesn't have to necessarily be cynical and I think from everything that James Gunn has said throughout his Marvel experience he's he's very much my idea first and marketing second you know so you've got you've got to hope it comes from a good no we have faith in Gunn yeah yeah. Oh, whoa. All right, NRA dude. <laughs> Jeez. Um, Hands off our gun. <laughs> um, the other big trailer of the week, of course, was Alien Covenant. Mm. So uh, what did you guys think of this? We got a bit of attention stroke flack for the, the last shot or one of the last shots, which was the alien on the windscreen. Uh, which was CG, yeah. quite obviously CG. And mm. I think people, you know, obviously there's a CG alien in, in Alien Resurrection and yep. a lot of CG in Prometheus, so it's not a new thing. But I think a lot of people, you know, given it's the classic alien coming back, yeah. want to see the, the man in the suit stroke, that, that kind of vibe to it. Which, I mean, spoiler, there 100% definitely is in yeah. this film. Mm. 100% definitely are mechanical and puppeted and you know because you, you've been there you've been on set and I was on set so yes this is 100% you definite. were in a suit I have been <laughs> <laughs> I would not fit in one of those Those they do not have a lot of you know give um, but they, they 100% definitely had I mean I went around the creature shop and it was astonishing and they, they have built everything and even the things that were going to be CG'd or partly CG'd they built to be scanned to be you know mm. Um, to be used that way so yeah so I'm hoping that's very much A a minority of shots and B it's possible it's an unfinished shot at this point so there might Mm. still be some tweaking to do but it's exciting it's the return of of the classic alien yeah classic coke Um, and I think you know Ridley Scott didn't want to do it for Prometheus was almost had that the the original alien in it and then Mm. he changed it at the last minute Um, so I think people are really excited I'm, I'm excited to see the alien come back and there's a new type isn't there Yes, yeah, so we we kind of glimpsed it, I think, in this trailer, didn't we? The sort of mm. the neomorph, yeah, which is the smaller but more energetic, more mm. kind of vicious, yeah, than the original sort of baby chestburster, yeah. yeah, and it looks like nightmare fodder. It really, really does. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very susceptible to the scariness of alien films, obviously, because I'm a big coward. But uh, but it does look it does look properly scary. My own my only worry about the trailers for this film is they're giving you a lot of information about deaths. Yes, the last trailer did was a bit spoilery, and we had a lot of complaints on the Empire Facebook group. People saying, you know, okay, so we know that character's dead, and I mean, you know, it's an alien film, so you can expect most of the characters yeah. will die I just want Danny McBride to make it to the end because yeah. he just looks like the most expendable character in <laughs> cinema history yeah. and if Danny McBride makes it to the end alive yeah. I'll be so happy it's but a victory it, for he won't he's like, world over. he just won't um, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know to play again to play Johnny Devil's Advocate Nugent here um, <laughs> I, I, th- I'm concerned it looks a little bit generic from the trailers we've seen I'm, I'm just wondering what is new that they're bringing okay. to the franchise. I, I, I think there's going to be some interesting stuff here. I think it's going to be interesting to see how we progress from Prometheus towards a traditional alien. I think mm. that's what this film is really designed to do. And I think 
there was actually a thread on Twitter yesterday that Robbie Cullen retweeted. If you're not spoiler averse, I did see that. I think that's about ninety percent spot on. Yeah. Um. So about the Greek myths, Greek myths, and so on. So I think there's some really interesting sort of thematic stuff coming in. Yes. But I hope it will also be a really scary film, which mm-hmm. is important yeah. as well. And I'm I'm fascinated to see what Michael Fassbender and Michael Fassbender do as David and Walter. Whether they do a sort of double act song and dance routine at one point. I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. You remember the La La Land poster, sort of that, but against the background of this of this planet. Yeah. yeah. There's a nice little gladiator-esque moment in the trailer with with some wheat or some, some long grass. I can't yeah. remember exactly what it is. Yeah, um, Ridley loves his wheat. It's a nice, lovely shot. But yeah, I yeah. get where you're coming from, John. It's, um, you know, it's another movie where a crew of people land and this alien comes along. And I, I hope it doesn't just end up with them getting bumped off one by one until Catherine Waterston is, is in her underwear and running around. So <laughs> yeah. I just hope that they have something. I hope she doesn't have to avoid a ship slowly crashing down to earth and she like know, a just, donut so yeah, like yeah. a rolling ship yeah and she doesn't run sideways for on syndrome <laughs> yeah yeah i haven't been able to 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 watch that bit of prometheus and not laugh since, since dan pointed out that he once drove down a road and there was a squirrel running in front of the car and it just wouldn't go sideways um that's kind of ruined prometheus yeah she's charlie's theron has the the wit of a squirrel <laughs> In that film, in that film, in that film, in that, in that film. film, in real in life, film. she she knows how to go she's sideways. Very, yes, and she does it often. Sure. <laughs> she's not like Zoolander. She can turn left. Yeah. Um, okay, we've got a couple of bits of uh, of TV news about the casting of Marvel's Inhumans. Mm. Um, Anson Mount Mount. Now, if James were here, which obviously he isn't, he would say that Anson Mount was extremely good in Hell on Wheels. Of course, most viewers will probably remember him from the Britney Spears Odyssey Crossroads. Oh, well, of uh, I mean, I think that's that's really what stands out. But he will be playing. Black Bolt, whose full name is, of course, Blackagar Boltagon. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm really not. Who is wow. king of the Inhumans? Okay. And his voice is so powerful that if he like speaks above a whisper, he can basically like blow planets apart. Like he's super, super loud. Like so, Brian Blessed, basically. Like Brian, Bl- very much like that, except usually without the beard. Yeah. So, um, so basically, Black Bolt doesn't really speak because he he can't. Like he's too powerful. So, um, huh. luckily, he's married to a lady who is. Um, a mind reader. Okay. So. so he doesn't need to hold cards up like Andrew Lincoln in, in Love Actually. Exactly, yes. That would be the alternative. <laughs> yes. Which would take a long time to, to get Super through. Super long time an and, and be really quite offensive given that that's your best friend's wife and she's just gotten married yet. <laughs> uh oh. Um, but Sarinda Swan has been cast as Medusa, uh, his wife who has magic hair. Wow. And when is this when is this program coming? This program is coming. Um I'm not sure. Hang on, what is it? So uh the premiere will be in IMAX cinemas ah. in September. Okay. And then it goes to T V. Okay. So that's unusual. So it's gonna so be interesting to see how that plays out. This was originally gonna be a you know, a movie that was on the Marvel release schedule as a movie and they've kind of yeah. quietly shunted it off to one side. TV advised. TV-ified it, yeah. So that's uh, that's happening. Um, okay. There is also Pirates of the Caribbean news, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, there's a new poster for Pirates of the Caribbean. I, I'm still trying to get my head around the title for this one because it's different in America to how it is here. Yes. So it's Dead Men Tell No Tales here. Right. And Salazar's Revenge in America, unless it's the other way around. I think it's the other way around. It's the other way around. I think, it's Salazar's, I think it's Salazar's Revenge here. Right. Because... Because Salazar is, Salazar is better known in Europe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's, yeah. huge, he's huge here. <laughs> he's, um, he'll play big. So Salazar is obviously the, uh, the the sort of the baddie of the piece, and he is um, played Javier by Bardem. Javier Bardem. Yes. And uh, judging by the poster, bits of him, his face are going to sort of come off. 
he looks like he's sort of decomposing yes. live oh, okay. on the poster. So not in a sort of Nick Cage, John Travolta way, but in uh, another... No, just looks like parts of his face are flying off. I'm not sure if that's representative. Mm-hmm. Of, more, of, more of a scurvy sort it's, of way, maybe. It just, it just goes Flaky. to show that exfoliation is, is super important. Like, yeah. moisturise... Especially on the sea. And exfoliate, especially, exactly salt Especially water. when Come you're on, an guys. undead pirate. Come so on, he is he is Jack Sparrow's uh, old nemesis. And uh, yeah, the other the, the main thing about this poster though, there's a lot of human human uh, characters on it. The most exciting thing is there are two sharks and they are zombie sharks. What? And this is exciting, and I hope this isn't just like a, a kind of. I hope this is a major part of the plot, and it's not just a sort of throwaway shot or two. I hope that Salazar has an, a, a legion of zombie sharks that he unleashes. A yeah, legion of zombie sharks. Because how do you how do you one up a kraken? <laughs> a zombie hammerhead. Shark. I mean, I've often wondered that. Yeah. And has it been bitten by another? Do you think there's shark? Yeah. Oh, Is yeah. It swimming dead. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, that, that's the main thing about that poster. And Barbosa is still in it somehow. Yes. Still there. There's rumours that Jack Davenport might be coming back, even though he died in one of the earlier he did, films. Didn't he? That's weird. Um, so. You, and, wow. Yeah. And we have on the poster as well, we also have Brenton Thwaites as Henry. Yeah. Uh, and Caius Scodelario as Karina, uh, is that right? S- Smith or Smythe? Uh huh. Um, who are obviously the, the new young lovers of this particular instalment. Yeah. Um, you know. So, yeah. you know. Zombie I, sharks. Skeptical, but just excited hope, um, about the, the aquatic creature element. <laughs> Let's just hope Johnny Depp has uh, a license for those sharks otherwise there could be some <laughs> some visa issues. Oh, yeah. Bre- Brenton Thwaites is Australian as well so he could he could dob him in. You know? Yeah. Um, a <laughs> <laughs> little bit of final news this, this week which just struck me as unusual. Uh, Tom McCarthy of course won the best picture last year for Spotlight um, and he's decided to follow that up by writing or rewriting rather the script for Disney's Christopher Robin movie. That's amazing. So this is a this is a kind of latter day. It tells uh, the tale of a middle aged Christopher Robin. He's all grown up and he's right. got a wife and kids. Yeah. But he's too interested in his work. Uh huh. And not and not um, spending enough time on his family. And it's all about poo. Um, <laughs> it's all it's about, so important to potty it's, train your it's, kids. It's, it's it's really all about poo coming back and <laughs> teaching him poo based lessons. Poo bear. Okay. Poo Just the bear. Poo Tom bear. McCarthy really fascinates me. He's had such a strange and varied career. He mm. he did like the station agent, which was incredible. He he was uh, I think a writer on Up Pixar's Up. He was yeah. He was a he was a producer on Game of Thrones. He he appeared in The Wire in the last season of The Wire. Yeah, he was great in that. And he also directed the terrible Adam Sandler com- comedy The Cobb. Yeah, straight before winning Best Picture for Spotlight. In the same year yeah. as winning Best Picture. So, I, I mean, who is this guy? And uh, now he's doing a Disney film. And how does he make this not Hook? That's yes. the question. Yeah. I mean, because uh, it sounds exactly like Hook. Right? And the, the other thing about this is it's live action. Um, it's mm. a live action Pooh Bear film. So we're going to get live action. I mean, obviously not live action, but we're going to get CG Heffalump. <laughs> CG Tigger. Mm. Who's going to be playing Tigger? I mean, there's. I, I'm kind of excited because this sounds insane. Maybe like, it's either going to be. Tigers. It's either going to be you know like the Jungle Book and and it's going to be. It's not going to be like. I just don't. I, just, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, more maybe more like Paddington. Maybe Paddington is the is the model here. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I so guess more good. CG characters. Uh, yeah, yeah I, maybe. I'm I'm intrigued, but. Mm. Winnie the Pooh. Could we get a Calvin Hobbes movie at some point? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
but we won't know because Bill Waterston probably doesn't want one. Okay. But um, uh, Mark Forster is is down to, still down to direct this one, so McCarthy's just rewriting the script. He's not okay. currently anyway in, in the director's chair. So um, I don't know. It could be. I mean, it could it could be great because we loved Paddington. You know, and we love Hook, right? Everybody loves Hook. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess, Paddington is was more of a traditional take on the stories, whereas this is sounds quite yeah. having a middle aged Christopher Robin. Yeah, I mean, is is Pooh going to be middle aged as well? Yeah. What What is the bear's lifespan? <laughs> do they do they have a depressing if they're just all really old? Yeah, I don't think they will be though. Will old they? people's home, colourful animals. Eels been put down. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's an odd one. Um, I did love the 2011 Winnie the Pooh film, which I thought was mm. really clever because it's for kids. It's just like a, a completely gentle, lovely little story. Mm. Um, but there's so much kind of weird um, breaking the fourth wall for older viewers it's really clever actually if you've I don't know if you've seen it um, but so maybe they'll do something really clever with this you know because that one was great and basically in, in the 2011 film they had things like um, Winnie the Pooh's friends reaching out of the drawings onto the page and using the letters to do things you mm. know which was which was super charming so I'm hoping that this will be just as just as lovely and there's an A.A. Milne movie in the works as well. Yes, with is that the one with um, so, Donald Gleeson? Donald Gleeson and Margot Robbie, I think. That's right, yeah. yeah. And so Pooh is back in a major way. <laughs> <laughs> Has it ever left? Well, <laughs> I wouldn't like to oh, say. Oh, good Lord. I wouldn't um, like to say. Just on topic for this week, uh, finally, I think, uh, James Mangold has been teasing a possible black and white version of Logan. Now, our own Ollie Gibbs was one of the many to say, wouldn't this be great mm. uh, when he saw the film in, in this sort of Mad Max, black and chrome sort of a way. Mm. And it seems that um, Mangold and, and potentially Fox agree and are working on a black and white version of the film. If you have seen the film already, you'll know that's a good thing. If you haven't, go see it and then you'll probably be up for it as well yeah I, I don't get it I haven't seen the black and chrome um, Fury Road version but I'm just I just don't quite get it like these are films that are really colourful and that's that's how they were designed and shot and I mean I don't get it Logan is a kind of beautiful western with it's, it is beautiful as desert it sounds, sort of yeah, landscapes yeah. why would that be improved by being black and white I, anyway hey we'll I have to know. wait and see yeah um, and I think uh, we have to finish um, this week's news section on on the worst news of the week and certainly the saddest news of the week which was the sad death of Bill Paxton at only 61 years of age um, a man who it's fair to say appears in most of Empire's favourite films it feels like yes. and and was one of the I mean he kind of had a leading man's looks but a, a character actor's career um, he 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 just stood out in basically everything he did. He's incredible uh, in Near Dark. Um, he, of course, is an essential part of the success of Aliens. Um, he was killed by a Terminator as well. He was killed by a Predator as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, you know, so he made all his monster movies great. He was also an incredibly talented director. Frailty is one of the great actor turned director debuts, and uh, it's a real shame he didn't get to make more films uh, because I think they would have been really something to see. But um, yeah, what what a shock and what a loss. And the tributes have absolutely flooded in from all corners of Hollywood. Basically, everyone who has worked with him, met him, known him, has said that he was one of the genuinely nicest men mm. in town, which is, which is obviously more important than any number of great films. But, I mean, this is a film podcast. We're, we're going to talk about the great films. 
He was he was such a reliable everyman, wasn't he? Mm. Like in in so many of his films, he just he pops up and you know he, he was he was not often the the leading role, but mm. he made such an impact in in such a small amount of time for many films. I mean, you know, you, it, the obvious ones are things like Aliens, but you, you look at stuff like you know Apollo thirteen. Oh or, God, he's so good in that. He's so good in Apollo thirteen. I mean, even his work in Titanic. You know, yeah. I mean, he's obviously always collaborating with James Cameron, and the the bookends in Titanic. Yeah, um, you know he he makes such a little an impression on on a three hour running time. He was so good natured, and I think every you know that came across in so many of his roles. Just yeah. that humour mm. that he was just a very very funny man. But he, but he could also be a complete douche brilliantly. I mean, yeah. True Lies or even or yeah. Terminator. Yeah, yeah, weird science. Weird um, science. I mean, he uh, yeah, and then he had a, another side to him, which if you've seen the, his directorial debut, he made two mm. films as director. The first one's Frailty, Frailty, incredible, which film. is one of the darkest films I've ever seen. I mean, it's a fantastic film I've never forgotten it I don't think I'll ever watch it again but yeah. I mean it's a very powerful kind of piece of work but I mean he was just a great raconteur as well if you ever had the opportunity to talk to him I, I interviewed him about five years ago for, for an Aliens uh, special that we did and just the stories were just brilliant he told a great story about James Cameron and a tea lady at Pinewood <laughs> um, but just a really funny warm genuine guy yeah there's a great interview with him um, from a few years ago on 18 Cool News that just got published. It was never published before. And it's it's a really long, just sort of freewheeling interview where he just talks about his his sort of early career, but also just like the films he likes. Yeah. You know, he was a big fan of like Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's movies. He thought Hot Fuzz was really good. And, you know, he, you can tell from this interview, he waxes lyrical and he, he really knows his stuff. And he, he's a genuine film fan. Genuine cinephile. Yeah. yeah. If you, if I've, I've read those kind of things. He, he knew like the whole of cinema while he's while he's best known for these big blockbusters that he knew everything really mm. he, he, he said, we watched uh, everything he said Harold and Maud was the film that made right. him want to yeah. become an actor which I don't think anyone would have would have predicted or drawn a line between, <laughs> yeah. between him and that film but yeah just a fascinating guy and Absolutely. I mean that 61 is yeah it's no way, way too young I mean, we're not exaggerating when we say, we say he is the most quoted man, I think, in the Empire office. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think it's that close, actually, um, in terms of his, his film lines and his memorable performances. So uh, Bill Paxton will be, will be much missed. Um, okay, well, that was, that's a really sad note, I'm afraid. It's on to this week's film, so hopefully there'll be some better news there. Now, uh, just before we start, we covered Logan last week because it came out on Wednesday. Um, so just, just to recap, if you didn't listen to last week's pod... We really, really like it. Yes. A lot. Yes, we do. So that got four stars, and it was a very high four stars. Personally, I'd go five, but that's just me. <laughs> um, but it is, it's a really, really, really good film. And even if you've been burned by the two previous Wolverines, do not fear this one. It's the best X-Men movie ever made. All right. I'm not going to even argue with you. And I prefer X-Men 2, <gasps> but this is the second best. All right. Fair enough. I, I'm also not going to argue with that. They're both kind of up there for me. That's fine. Okay, so um, so what is out this week? Otherwise, uh, competing with Logan. If you've seen Logan already on Wednesday, uh, John, tell me about Certain Women. Yeah, so this is uh, Certain Woman. This is um, the latest film from Kelly Kelly Reichardt. Um, if you're not familiar with her, she's she's sort of operated on on the sort of fringes of of Hollywood, I guess. She's a sort of indie filmmaker, but she's done some amazing work. She did uh, Wendy and Lucy, did a western called Meeks Cutoff, and did Night Moves a few years ago, which was very very good. And this is her her latest film, which is in a similar sort of vein to to her previous work. It's um it is a you know a very much an indie movie. It's a quiet movie. It's a thoughtful 
Marvel movie. It's it's basically a story about three women or four women, perhaps. Um, it's told in three parts, and they, their lives sort of intersect in a in a very small town in called Livingston in Montana, in American Midwest. Basically, all of Kelly Reichardt's films are set in the Midwest. She's very <laughs> fascinated by this, you know, very quiet, remote part of, of, of the country. So we start off with Laura Dern, who the amazing Laura Dern, who plays a, a sort of small town lawyer having to deal with basically terrible men. So she's she's having to deal with um, a, a client played by Jared Harris, who who is impossible to deal with. Uh, he, he ultimately becomes a little bit violent um, and you, you know her, her section is all about the, the sort of stresses of dealing with problematic clients um, and then we move on to Michelle Williams who is a sort of wife and mother trying to live a sort of more nomadic lifestyle and basically her entire section is about negotiations over a pile of rocks um, okay. which is about uh, you know th- this is the sort of the, the high level excitement drama that we, we get from this sort of film and then finally we have a section with um, with Kristen Stewart and a newcomer Lily Gladstone who plays a, a horse rancher and there's that that for me was the the most successful of the three sections i suppose it's sort of a tale of unrequited love and the whole film is is you know very sort of quiet and thoughtful very little happens i mean it's our um terry white suggested that this was basically the girl version of patterson in terms of things happening is that fair oh very much so like they they really share a sort of sensibility and um a sort of dramatic outlook i suppose mm-hmm. they then neither of them uh, are interested in, you know, car chases or or excitement or gun shoots. Although this <laughs> this you know this movie does have a little bit of uh, tenseness in, in the early act when Jared Harris has a gun, but it all ends relatively quietly. You know, the, the, Kelly Reichardt's films are a lot about just sort of you're picking up these transient moments you're picking up like the the sort of these little windows into people's lives and there's there's all sorts of things that are going on under the surface that you sort of she's inviting the audience to look at um so there's a lot of unsaid things and especially michelle williams uh, section and michelle williams is fantastic as she always is mm. uh, there's there's an incredible sort of passive aggression to her family there's there's clearly something bubbling uh, in this in this marriage that is not going well but it's never really explained it's never really touched upon in a in a you know specific or explicit way uh so it's it's more about just getting these tiny little little windows into people's lives and it feels incredibly authentic like her the 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 acting is is so understated and so sort of naturalistic uh it feels it's just an incredibly incredibly genuine portrayal of very ordinary women living in a sort of rural existence all right so uh, Four stars. Then? So four stars. It's a really. It's it's not an not a big film. It's not a blowy film, but it's it's a beautiful film, mm. and I highly recommend it. And remember, this is a different film from Twentieth Century Women. Yes, this is Certain Women. Two films out with women in at the same time. The world could end. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, next up, we have uh, Trespass Against Us, which is a little bit of an Assassin's Creed reunion um, because it sees uh, Brendan Gleeson once again join Michael Fassbender. So Colby, who's Gleeson's character, is the head of a sort of a traveller clan, if you will. Uh, Fassbender plays his son Chad, who wants uh, a better life for his own children. He's trying to make sure that they stay in school, that they learn, and they you know have have other options available to them. But he keeps getting kind of pulled back into his father's ways and this is 
to be clear, this is not true of all traveller families, but this particular family has some rather dodgy dealings and dodgy goings on uh, in their in their lives. And basically, Colby is extremely reluctant to let Chad kind of break free of that model and, and move himself away from the family in any way. So it's a kind of a struggle for independence on one hand and for family cohesion on the other hand. And uh, that's basically the central dilemma, I guess, of, of the film. So, uh, you know, Fassbender plays a guy who's basically kind of illiterate. He's never known anything but this life, um, but he's still desperate to get give his kids something else and give them a, a, another option in life. They are also, it should be made clear, you know, kind of put upon by the outside world. They're very isolated. They're very, um, you know... Uh, viewed with a lot of suspicion by the people that they meet outside which kind of contributes to that kind of clannish atmosphere um, and and so it's basically the this kind of I guess pressure cooker relationship between the two men at the heart of this wider family you know with sort of cousins hangers on um, but isolated from the outside world and what they can do about it so I don't know. I mean, I saw this a few months ago. It hasn't massively stayed with me. I do think there are, there are flaws which uh, which Dan picks up in his review about the you know the female characters can maybe be a little bit uh, stronger. I think here, um, but I have to say that the acting between the, t- the central pair is is astonishing, and I think that's why Dan has given it the the very good review that he has. Four star film from him. I agree with him. Actually, it's it has shades of Shane Meadows' early work. Um, so there's that kind of a feel to it, kind of very gritty British filmmaking kind of a feel, um, and and great great work, obviously by Gleason and Fassbender together. So uh, so yeah, four stars for Trespass Against Us. This is a four star week so far. So far, will it will it stay that way for the third and final review? Well, let's see if it can. Nick, what can you tell us about Viceroy's House? So Viceroy's House, uh, first of all, a Viceroy, in case you don't know, because I didn't, um, <laughs> is a representative of the of the king or queen in a foreign country. So in this case, uh, the Viceroy is Lord Mountbatten, played by Hugh Bonneville, taking a break from being Lord Grantham in yep. Downton Abbey. Um, so basically, this is a film by Gurinder Chadha, um, who, it was actually inspired by her appearing on the BBC TV show, Who Do You Think You Are? Oh. And she decided to. She learned more about the the kind of the end of the British rule in India at the end of the 1940s, and decided to make a film about it. And so this film sees um, Hugh Bonneville's character and Julian Anderson plays his wife, Lady Edwina, and they're in Delhi, and the British are basically withdrawing from India, and violence is is sort of you know happening all over all over the country. And uh, it's it's a good film without being a great film. It's a fascinating period of history, um, but the, the the human characters are a little bit one notes for mm. the most part, and it's not as subtle or as as kind of interesting as as gripping as you'd hope it would be. And there's a slightly generic romance in the servants' quarter between a Hindu boy and a Muslim girl. Um, the performance is very good on the whole. Uh, Gillian Anderson especially is really really good, but it's it's um, it's a little bit thin. All right. So we've given that three stars. Okay, but still a recommendation. Three stars is, of course, a recommendation. And then three four-star films also to catch up on this week. So get going to the cinema. It's also worth pointing out uh, Moonlight is being re-released this Friday. Expanded, yeah. Expanded release um, across the UK in cinemas. Um, And that is a five-star film. Uh, and also Oscar Best Best Picture winner, so mm. go see that. Yeah, if you haven't seen that, now is the time. Mm. Did you hear about the the Rio Cinema here in London? Oh um, yeah, 
showed there was a screening of Moonlight and they put on the first uh, two minutes of La La Land <laughs> and then turned it off and put yeah. Moonlight on. That is which genius. Was, that's great trolling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you if you worked on La La Land and you happened to go along to that screening, you probably would have just wept. Um, but no, that is, that is pretty funny. That's it for this week's Empire Podcast, brought to you by Three. Uh, now, on Monday, join us again. We're going to be putting up our Logan spoiler special with an extensive interview with James Mangold, which, um, believe me, is is awesome. He was absolutely fascinating in that. Um, and then the following week, I think we're going to have a Kong, Kong Skull, Island. Skull, Island, Skull Island spoiler special. So yes. watch out for that one as well. We've got two spoiler specials coming up. Um, the regular podcast, however, will be back next week at the normal time for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Tom Hiddleston. Oh, oh, yeah. oh my God! Oh, ah! Love him! Hiddlepod. <laughs> the Hiddlepod, yes. Until then, it's goodbye from John. Goodbye. Goodbye from Nick. Goodbye, I'm off to finish reading my 90,000 words about Castiel. <laughs> the shirtless vampire, whatever he is. Angel, he's an sorry, angel. Sorry, former vampire. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to find some new accountants for the Empire podcast so I don't open the wrong envelope next time. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>